I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. And this is Dialogue Out Loud. My eyelashes were subtly coated in matte black mascara. On my cheeks, a light dusting of dusty rose-colored blush powder. Just enough that I could feel comfortable and almost myself. On Tuesday, my visiting teacher said she knew I was really busy at work and brought over a casserole for dinner, the chief ingredient of which was zucchini. Maybe it isn't the Lamanite who needs to forsake the incorrect traditions of our forefathers. Maybe it's the belief of racial hierarchy that we need to forsake. Never learn to play the organ, the old woman told me. You might get a different calling from time to time. But make no mistake, once you get on the path of becoming a ward organist, that's what you'll be until you die. Each year, we bring you even more great fiction, personal essays, and poetry taken from the pages of our quarterly journal. We couldn't do this without your support. So thank you for reading, listening, and supporting Dialogue with your donations, subscriptions, or by simply leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. For more content like this, Or to get involved with Dialogue events, go to DialogueJournal.com. Fierce Passage by Darlene Young Today, while researching ancestors, sifting through nested petals of records for names that belong to me, people who've left their bloody signatures in my genes, I found Melissa, some sixth great-great of mine, tucked into a corner of a census under her husband's name, given one word to describe her vocation in life, invalid. Besides her children, that one word is all she left behind. I've been ill myself for four years, four and a half really, but who's counting? long enough that when I meet someone, I wonder whether to tell them. You don't really know me, I could say, unless you know this one thing. Instead, I play with being a different person, one who is whole in the eyes of strangers, simply a human being, anyone. After all, four years is hardly any time. Not even a fifth of my life is not my life. I don't want to see the lowered eyes be filed into that box. But no account of me is complete without an accounting of the days, long afternoons of people talking in other rooms, people outside my window. I see them on talk shows where, though full of other problems, they have energy enough to jump around a stage screaming. Daytime TV is weight loss ads, wrinkle creams, ask Dr. Oz. Appearance matters. A toothpaste can change your life. It's a sin to assume anything. Those pea-green seasick days tell me this. We know nothing of each other. We are all moving through some fierce, defining passage. Everyone has come from somewhere. The doctor calls her sweetheart when she cries at hearing there is nothing he can find. He pats her back but will not meet her eyes. He doesn't really mean to patronize, 
and in his rosy health thinks himself kind when he calls her sweetheart. So she cries, sweet and heart, as if illness implies some pale and docile virtue. She is defined by what she has imagined in his eyes. He checks his watch, advises exercise, perhaps some daily yoga to unwind. She's heard it all before. And as she cries, cold from the table seeps into her thighs. She's only a pale body in his mind. She knows because he will not meet her eyes. And when he looks toward the door, hope dies. He shakes her hand and smiles, harmless, blind, even calls her sweetheart when she cries. The nurse gives her a tissue for her eyes. sick girl never gives up. A good sick girl would never give up. She pushes on in search of a cure, working as if all depended on her. Not knowing beforehand what she should do, she moves doggedly from doctor to doctor and test to test, would never rest. Except, of course, when money is tight, which it always is. A good sick girl knows when to stop wasting her family's money on that which bears no fruit, the useless pursuit of miracle cures. Except, of course, for miracles that come from God. A good sick girl always seeks those, remembering Sarah, who laughed at the angel. She adds her name to prayer rolls, requests heavy-handed administrations repeatedly and in variety, except, of course, when it's God's will that she not be healed. And then she'll yield her will to God patiently, knowing he will strengthen her back. She doesn't lack humility. She would never complain, except, of course, to us, her true friends, her safe space. We answer with grace when she asks for help. Never notice as we drop off casseroles, her manicure, the craft she completed, the laundry stacks up and the children run wild. A good sick girl looks clean and neat for her doctor, so he'll know she's not wallowing, know she wants to get well. But she mustn't look too neat, or he'll doubt that she means it when she says she can't cope. Being good, she won't question the advice that he gives her, and proves her desire for healing with exact and detailed obedience. Except for when he's mistaken, which he often is. And so, a good sick girl will research her symptoms herself, allow the guidance of spirit and common sense. Though she would never Google her symptoms, an obvious trick of the hypochondriac, proof of negative thinking, something she avoids like the plague, which she probably doesn't have, though she'll check. Nor would she chase after quacks and shamans of alternate therapies, knowing it is a waste of her family's money, a pitiful lack of faith unless it's something God has led her to by putting someone right in her path like a drunk Laban. For example, that guy who helped Aunt Fern. Now he's obviously got a God-given gift, and if she refuses to even give him a chance, she's being close-minded, just giving up. 
And a good sick girl never gives up. Migraine Sweet Prelude Something is not right A haunting quaver to the world Your mind feels viscous Your body watery The lights have dimmed The sense of the smell of ozone Allemande A greasy fingerprint on the lower right of the screen of the world becomes a tiny crescent of jazzy spangle, expanding, growing towards you like the titles on a superhero movie. A takeover is in progress. You discover you cannot see faces or sentences in entirety. Focus on a single eye, a mouth. When mouths speak, you cannot recognize the words. When you speak, the words shrink and cavort. You are drifting out to sea. Courant. The neon, scythe-shaped sparklers become the burr of a dental drill. Dull saw shriek on hardwood. All that is jagged, splintered, pluck-tangled, zipper-snagged, snarled, steel wool, klaxon, burnt skillet, egg ash, earwigs, asterisks, sand in the eyes, a broken tooth, scraped frost, roadkill. You watch this dizzy dance behind closed eyes, limp, an overfull, dull pail of bolts. Sarah Band. Time, soggy paper, thins into nothing. You drift in a forever, existing everywhere and nowhere, like God. You are still here. You are still here. You are still here. You realize the brouhaha is quieting slightly and slightly. As the tide ebbs, you find yourself standing in nausea like rank seaweed. Your middle expands to fill the universe, scummy and foamed. Not a churning, but a slow rot. Time is. Is. Time. Is. Stagnant. Jig. Retroflux. The air is clear but wobbly. You slink, haggard and flimsy, poke tentatively the corners of your mind. Is it over? Are all the termites dead? You cannot yet laugh, but sit on the porch, rocking, smiling faintly, like Grandma. You might decide to live. Darlene Young is a former poetry editor for Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought. She teaches creative writing at Brigham Young University and has published in various journals and anthologies. She lives in South Jordan, Utah, with her husband and sons. These poems were read by the author. 
This episode was produced and edited by Daniel Foster Smith. Our executive producer is Taylor Petrie, and Emily Jensen is our content manager. Original music by Daniel Foster Smith. Dialogue Out Loud is produced by the Dialogue Foundation, a registered 501c3, with support from Mary Thieves and Salton Studios. To find more great audio content like this, go to dialoguejournal.com. And while you're there, consider donating. Thank you. Greetings, my name is Rebecca Deschweinitz, and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit DialogueJournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons. Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.